CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching The Hash. It is Friday. Happy Friday. I'm Zach Seward. I'm joined by Jensen Assey and special guest, Anna Bidikova. We're going to get you caught up to speed on all the things that are going on in crypto and more. And I'm going to toss it to Jen for the first story of the day. Jen, take it. Okay. According to a report on CNBC, Binance employees and support volunteers are telling people how to bypass the crypto ban in China. The report says customers in China and other countries are able to subvert Binance's controls to hide their country of residence, according to messages in Binance's official Chinese language chat rooms. Financial regulation experts have expressed concerns that the exchange's KYC and AML efforts can be so easily bypassed. Surprise, surprise. Anna, I'm going to pass it off to you. What did you make of this story this morning? Well, first of all, I wonder if many people were surprised by that report. I mean, that has never been kind of exposed and said outright. But I think if you talk to crypto users, they wouldn't be surprised that it was pretty easy to register on Binance, even from the jurisdictions that are not supposed to be there. You know, I kind of always feel ambivalent on such topics. Like, yes, these people who, you know, might or might not be Binance employees, and probably were the Binance angels were explaining how to circumvent the Chinese crypto ban. But then, you know, if we think in the terms of the larger, you know, kind of morals, is it a bad thing to circumvent some country's crypto ban? Like, why is crypto banned in China? On the bigger picture, like, did something really bad happen? Like, those people were trading crypto from China. Well, why not? What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point to zoom out a little bit beyond sort of the irregularities that may be highlighted in this report with how a company such as Binance operates. I think the bigger picture is fair. And I think it's something that Coindesk has long wrestled with, like, is KYC right? Is KYC appropriate? Does KYC lock people out of financial products that they should otherwise have access to? Is it a fair burden for people to have to overcome? And I think those are the big questions that cryptocurrency as a technology presents and makes you sort of think through. And it's something that I think people in the space on, and you kind of alluded to this, are accustomed to thinking through. You know, I always think of Emily Parker, our colleague here at Coindesk, who's done a lot of reporting in the East Asian markets. And she's always sort of quick to point out that this Chinese crypto ban was never really a ban. If there was a will, there was a way. 
And there was a ton of crypto trading going on in China despite this ban. So I think the realistic view is that these are products that people in China and all around the world are going to want to use. The Chinese situation, many people have pointed out, is largely to prevent capital flight, which is something that Chinese authorities are very significantly concerned about. So the fact that this ban is in place has always been a bit porous. And I think, you know, this report kind of highlights some of the mechanisms by which people have worked around that ban. And I don't think that the reality of this ban being somewhat porous is going to change anytime soon, despite efforts by the Chinese authorities to continue their crackdown. So it is interesting to get a little bit of the detail here. It's hard to entirely sort of arbitrate the claims that are put forth against Binance in this piece, but it is a fascinating glimpse at what people are doing in these countries where crypto is ostensibly banned, at least. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with both of you. There's a quote in the story by Duke University professor. He said, I think explicitly about the national security implications of how terrorists, criminals, money launderers, cyber people in North Korea, Russian oligarchs, etc., could use this to get access to this infrastructure. I think it's really interesting that this professor kind of points out terrorists. We hear that a lot. All these bad people in these countries like Russia, North Korea. I think there's more good people who need access to financial systems, to financial products to just carry on with their day-to-day than there are bad people. So to read that quote was a little disheartening with this story. I think though, some of the claims in the story are pretty like blasting. I don't know if that's the word I should use, but they were saying that finance employees were encouraging people to falsify documents, falsify addresses, falsify bank statements to show that they live in other jurisdictions. Given Binance's relationship with regulators, I don't think that the information in this report is going to be used in a good way against them. And so in that way, I think that it's pretty damning. Anna? And then I think, you know, that the problem of crypto KYC is not unique to Binance. Like we reported that there is the whole market of fake accounts, like really viable working fake accounts on any exchange, like including the U.S. exchanges like Coinbase. This story is kind of unique because, you know, that the people who have something to do with Binance were caught instructing people how to do that. But it doesn't mean that people don't know all these tricks even without those instructions and haven't been using them all across the globe on any exchanges. Yeah, it's worth pointing out like the Binance comment in this article, right? It's like, you know, we're taking action against these employees who may have violated our internal policies. So this is something that I think Binance is appearing to take seriously, at least, rather than suggesting that it's standard operating procedure. It is interesting to watch. And Jen, I think you're right to sort of highlight this in the context of Binance's fraught relationship with many regulators worldwide, especially in the US, especially as Binance assumes that top position as other of its peers, cough, cough, FTX, crumble to the ground. Now, Kathy Wood seems to have had some good sources because after months of buying Coinbase stock, being the gigabull of coin, she mysteriously started selling some of the stock a few days ago. And it just so happens that right after she made this initial sale, Coinbase was served by the SEC with a Wells notice. Now, that caused a significant dip in the price. And at those depressed prices, Kathy Wood, still apparently a major coin bull, bought back in. She bought the dip following the SEC Wells notice and some panic selling in the markets. Interesting and savvy move. I'm going to toss this to Jen for her thoughts. What do you think about Kathy's coin plays here? Coincidence? I don't know. (laughs) 
I mean, Kathy has been super bullish on Bitcoin, super bullish on Coinbase. So not surprised to see that she bought the dip, was a little surprised to see that she sold all those shares just before this Wells notice was announced. I don't know if she had any information. We can only form opinions on the information that we have. I think despite all of this, despite the Wells notice, the story notes that Coin is still up 97% year to date. I think in my own opinion, when I look at the centralized exchanges, especially when I look at them through an American lens, despite Coinbase's troubles with regulators, I think that they will survive this. I think they will weather the storm. They have been progressively looking at decentralization through things like their wallet and now their layer two. And so I think Kathy's bet on Coinbase from a centralized exchange perspective is maybe a good one, but that's just my opinion. We don't give financial advice on this show. Zach, I saw your hand go up. I mean, I guess I will say it's been a bit of an open secret that the SEC has distributed a lot of these Wells notices, but the timing is pretty funny here, right? That the (laughs) immediately timed to, okay, Kathy Wood sold Coinbase shares for the first time in a long, long time. And then immediately thereafter, this major bombshell drops and then she swoops back in to buy low is pretty remarkable, the timing. So credit to her investigative resources for getting a hunch, acting on that hunch, and then maybe making a quick buck. It's crazy to see. But hey, that's what Kathy Wood does, I guess. Anna, what do you think? I think it's interesting how recently people kind of see Kathy Wood as a bellwether of Coinbase price and viability. I've seen so many reports about Kathy Wood buying Coinbase, Kathy Wood buying Coinbase. Like, I think by this time, there must be a pretty big group of investors kind of, you know, working in the records and seeing what Katie Wood is doing with Coinbase stock. And maybe we should do the same and make money together with her. I mean, like, not we, not us three, but those investors. Not financial advice. No, I bet there's people who copy trade Kathy Wood, right? She's directionally long on crypto, right? She says that Bitcoin is going to be extremely valuable in the coming years. And she thinks that Coinbase is going to be the gateway that most people access that directional bet. So really, it's sort of like she's doubling down. She's betting the same thing just in different ways. And I think you probably look at the Coinbase stock as still probably a proxy stock for the price of Bitcoin, right? You mentioned, I think it was that 97% figure. I'd be curious to know if that is the exact same figure that Bitcoin is up over that same duration, right? Or at least it's similar. So I think still people do sort of approach the public markets and they still look for these Bitcoin proxy stocks. Famously, MicroStrategy was that bet during much of the bull run in lieu of a spot Bitcoin ETF. So I think a lot of traders, both retail traders who are trading within their retirement savings or more sophisticated Wall Street traders, they say, hey, I don't really want to deal with that actual crypto stuff. Seems like a pain, especially in this regulatory environment. Let me just find some good old fashioned stocks that somewhat mimic the price action that I'm going to see in the cryptocurrency markets. And I think that's what we've seen Kathy Wood do time and time again, despite this recent buy the dip opportunity. So interesting to see for sure what Kathy Wood's contrarian stance on the future of crypto assets seems to be. Jen, last thoughts on this before we change gears? Well, I was going to say buy low, sell high. But on your regulation point, I think it will be interesting to see how people follow Kathy, given the SEC's like increased scrutiny on Coinbase, right? They've been really transparent. They've been really public about their relationship with regulators. They've said, you know, we're working with them. We've talked to them over 60 times. We're so surprised by this Wells notice. We're so surprised that they are suing us. Or we're so surprised that they're asking us not to make this product offering. 
it will be interesting to watch how investors react to that news and how the price of coin reacts to that news, even though it's 97% up on the year. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. Now to some not-so-fun stuff, crypto thefts and crime. According to Crystal Blockchain, over $119 million have been swindled in various hacks and scams only in the beginning of 2023. And last year, there was over $4 billion stolen or hacked or drained from DeFi protocols over the year. And obviously, over the past two years, the focus of hackers and attackers shifted from centralized exchanges where you need to, you know, compromise security system, infiltrate those really, really complex system to just exploiting DeFi protocols where you need to find a vulnerability of code, which is open source, or you can manipulate price of some not so liquid assets and get great profits out of it, not in advertising. So hackers are really active on the DeFi space. And recently, according to Crystal Blockchain, they also paid a lot of attention to the NFT space. But that's more about scams and rug pulls. There is a lot of NFT scams where founders pull the rug from the buyers and leave them high and dry. Yeah, it's always a good time to be scamming. The one that comes to mind recently was someone took over Circle Chief Strategy Officer Dante Desparte's Twitter account and promoted the fact that there was a USDC airdrop. There was no such thing. And those who were unfortunate enough to believe that this verified account on Twitter was telling them the truth and those who interacted with this website probably had put themselves at risk of losing funds, right? So I think there's always these new and novel ways that people are looking to get money from other people through illicit means, right? Whether that's smart contract exploits, whether that's just sort of social engineering scams, whether that's rug pulls, you name it. Crypto really is a cat and mouse game between people who are looking to exploit these permissionless systems for ill intent and those who are looking to make these permissionless systems good, open, and accessible to all. And these are indeed neutral platforms and they can be used for good and bad. It's something that's very inherent to the space, right? You know, it can be both things at once. And that's something that I think sometimes gets lost in the conversation around whether or not crypto should continue to exist in the world. It's probably not going anywhere, but there's certainly a lot of good upstanding actors who are trying to put uh, the bad guys to rest. But unfortunately, those bad guys, they keep doing their thing too. It's just the way of the world, I guess. I don't know, Jen, what do you think? Yeah, we say this on the show so often, but I have to say it again. Like DeFi is so new and it's solving so many problems that our existing financial system has presented, right? But the fact that we're building so quickly and moving so fast in a space that has so much regulatory opaqueness leaves room for things like this to happen. And I think it's to be expected. I think most people in the industry expect these things to happen. I think it highlights the need for things like audits and bug bounties. And so I think that we should just see more of that, right? When we're building, we should maybe think twice about speeding to launch on mainnet, test what's happening, bring in third parties to audit, offer bug bounties, and slowly but surely, we will solve some of the issues that lead to these crimes taking place. 
I zeroed in on the NFT part of the story, right? Because I couldn't even count how many people last year had their bored apes stolen from them. And Zach, you and Will said at ETH Denver last year, a lot of people who are new to the space are introduced to the space through NFTs. And so it's so sad to hear that these people are being taken advantage of because they may not know the ins and outs on how to protect their assets. And so I think for me, that just highlights the need for more education, especially when it comes to NFT projects on how to evaluate if a project is legit or not. And then again, how to hold those NFTs safe so they remain in your hands and you can enjoy those little JPEGs. And I'll toss it back to you. It just reminds me of one fun conversation I had with a Bitcoin developer on one conference. He was like, see, like Bitcoin wallet security is tricky to get right. And there are a lot of things to think of. But, you know, all the hackers' attention is now on DeFi. So we can kind of relax a little bit because they're not coming for us. They're coming first and foremost for those DeFi protocols. So you guys in the DeFi space, yeah, do some audits, like ramp up your game. Stop being a honeypot. The eyes of the industry are on you. You know, the thing, Jen, you mentioned about sort of, you know, the newcomers kind of falling prey to this stuff. I think it's also worth pointing out that there are very sophisticated people who are also falling prey to this mm -hmm. stuff. Anna in her piece mentions Kevin Rose, who's a prominent NFT founder, who, you know, hit like something like a million dollars worth of his NFTs were pilfered, right? You know, you're talking about Circle, an executive at Circle who, you know, got his Twitter account compromised and someone, a bad actor, was able to distribute a malicious link by way of that. So it's not just new people falling prey to some of these things. It's also pretty sophisticated, important people in the space. And honestly, it's just a really bad look for the industry as a whole, not on the part of the people who are victimized by this, but just by the fact that it can really go up and down the spectrum of new users and power users. We've talked about this before, but it is really scary when you know someone who is new in the space sees someone who is established in the space fall prey to some of these same scams. It's very jarring. And I think that is something that suppresses the ability for more and more people to onboard to this particular set of technologies. Because again, self-custody is tricky. And there are bugs in a lot of this experimental technology. And sometimes there's real big money at stake. So it becomes scary to kind of take that first step into this world. And I think it is something that hopefully can be resolved over time. And some of these numbers ultimately will shrink. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm optimistic. Jen, what do you think? I just want to say, you know, I've never been so afraid and anxious about online security until I started working in this space. And the hacks and the scams are continuously getting more and more creative. I just wanted to point out, I don't know if the Ronin attack is still the biggest DeFi attack that we've seen, but that system was obliterated by a LinkedIn job offer that one of the engineers got and downloaded a PDF. And so these hacks are getting more and more sophisticated. And if you fall victim to one, I think we have to just say, you know, it seems like it's happening to those who are new and old. And so don't feel dumb. Is where don't I'm going to leave this. Don't, don't feel, feel dumb. dumb. It's true. Don't feel dumb. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky yeah, enough to moderate dumb. a panel with some security researchers at this year's ETH Denver, and it was titled Only the Paranoid Survive. So being a little bit paranoid <laughs> out there when you're interacting with crypto assets is always important. All right, it's a Friday. Let's do something a little bit fun. Serious topic, but kind of fun in true Bitcoin fashion. This is about the skull of Satoshi, which is all the rage this morning on Twitter.com. Let's see a little clip from its big reveal. Think Bitcoin's not bad for the environment? Think again. Introducing my newest collaboration with Greenpeace. 
I'm Benjamin Von Wong, and I use art to raise awareness for issues like plastic pollution and climate change. Six months ago, I was studying the impacts of climate change in Greenland, where I saw firsthand what the climate crisis looks like. Greenland's ice sheet is melting fast, and witnessing it with my own eyes was absolutely gut-wrenching. That's where I met Rolf from Greenpeace and learned about how fixing Bitcoin could help solve climate change. All right. So as you can tell there from that video, it's a collaboration between an artist and Greenpeace, the environmental organization, suggesting that Bitcoin needs to change its code to mitigate its environmental impact. Now, it's a bit unclear what exactly that code change would entail, but it's certainly something that is drawing a lot of attention on Twitter. And also a lot of people who kind of see this thing as an unintentional mascot. That was just the most metal punk rock thing. <laughs> and Bitcoiners everywhere, including our very own Will Foxley, are changing their Twitter profile pictures to an image of the skull. What do we make of this? Either the lightness of the Twitter phenomenon or the substance of the claims that are buried in this work. What do you think? Okay, well, I'm going to go for the lightness first because I love the skull and I have to mention it's going on tour, which I don't know if that is very environmentally friendly, but it's going to be in New York next week and Coindesk needs to get out and see the skull in person and maybe do some reporting. So I am looking forward to that. I think that there is more low-hanging fruit that we can address instead of you know changing Bitcoin's code. There are some comparisons in Greenpeace's messaging that we heard a lot last year comparing Bitcoin's carbon emissions to those of some small countries. I Again, I've said this before, I would love to see more data, more analytics so we can make our own decisions on how Bitcoin is affecting climate change. I think people might see this though and maybe look at some alternatives to Bitcoin that are maybe a little more climate friendly. At the end of the day, though, I am a fan of the skull. So I'm glad that this came out of the campaign. And maybe people can just educate themselves and make their own decisions. Anna? Well, I definitely am looking forward to making a selfie with the skull because the art is really cool. Like it really hits the nerve. But, you know, the discussion of Bitcoin's climate impact and whether it can be mitigated by I mean, is the author suggesting Bitcoin switches to the proof of stake like Ethereum does? Because that is the most widely proposed solution. And that is the whole other discussion, like why it shouldn't be done, why it should be done and so on. We just don't have the hours to discuss all that. But I think it's good that the attention to climate change is attracted this way. And maybe people will think about other ways they're using energy not very efficiently. And that's always a good thing to do. Yeah, it's worth saying that, you know, the artist here is no slouch, right? This is someone who's educated himself to some extent on cryptocurrency. And he says, hey, like Bitcoin switching to proof of stake isn't something that I even agree with. And I think it goes back to some of the conversations around the Ethereum merge, right? Where Ethereum went from proof of work to proof of stake. It was seen as an unmitigated good in shrinking the footprint of Ethereum. But of course, now there's all these regulatory conversations, especially with Gary Gensler saying that you know, Bitcoin and proof of work is really the one true process. Proof of stake consensus sort of suggests that things are almost a little bit like security. So suddenly there's this regulatory thing that's intersecting with this environmental conversation. It's all crazy. Anyway, that's it for the show today. That's it for the show this week. We're The Hash. We'll see you next week. Bye from me, Anna. And Jen, that's it. See you. Happy Friday. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. 
We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.